Hi, friends. I'm going to be real here. I miss you. I miss the joy as we greet each other, the sweetness of focusing our minds on God as we sing the doxology together each week, the smiles and the chatter as we transition, the opportunity to pray together in our small groups, and the lingering after our large group. I don't think any of us expected four weeks ago that we would still be having our study this way, but God knew. I've been overwhelmed this week as I've prepared for this lesson. You may know that the teacher, teaching leaders write their homework lessons well in advance of the study in order for the notebooks to be put together. When I was preparing almost a year ago, I paid no attention to the calendar. I knew this was going to be the last week of Ruth and we were going to be wrapping up Ruth, but I didn't pay attention to where it fell on the calendar. But God did. He knew where we would be and what we would be going through during Holy Week this year. And in His providence and His design, we were all at home with more time on our hands. I felt so overwhelmed at His goodness as I was able to spend time with God and with His Word and, and keep my mind on our Redeemer without thinking about where I had to be and when I had to be there. In the midst of our discomfort, God has given us a sweet gift to be able to continue studying together through resources that He has provided. So, we have finished another book, and what a book it has been. Four action-packed chapters. Sue mentioned to us as we began this study that this reminds her of a princess story. It also reminds me of a princess story. It is a historical narrative, and we have Ruth, and as is typical in princess stories, she has a background that is not quite compatible with everyone's idea of a princess. Naomi fits the bill for the somewhat dysfunctional mother figure, and we have the hero figure in Boaz. Last week, we had the tension of the plot twist, where we learned about another potential kinsman, Redeemer, and this week, we see the story resolve as we all sit on the edge of our seats, awaiting our happy ending. As with all historical narratives, we have the opportunity to learn from their story, and in particular in this story, we have the opportunity to learn more about who God is. For our purposes today, I've divided this chapter into four sections. The business in verse 1 through 10, where we will focus on God's sovereignty and God's steadfast love. The blessings in verses 11 through 14, where we will see God's faithfulness. The baby in verse 15 through 17, where we will see God's provision. And the beginning in verses 18 through 22, where God's grace is on display. Let's pray. Father, I praise you today for your sovereignty and for your faithfulness and for your goodness to us, Lord. I praise you that you have given us your word so that we can learn more about you and learn how we are to react to you, Lord. I confess to you today that I woke up disappointed that I would be doing this lesson to a camera rather than to a room full of women that I loved. But Lord, you reminded me through your word that this is the day that you have made, and it is designed exactly as you want it to be. And so I thank you. I thank you for the resources that you have given us so that we can continue to be in community with one another and we can continue to be um, in your word together and study together. Lord, I pray that these words that I speak today would be truth, that they would fall on hearts and ears that need to hear them and may we be changed by them. In Jesus' name, amen. When we left chapter three last week, Ruth, at the advice of Naomi, had put herself out there, pretty much literally, on the threshing room floor. 
Boaz had agreed that he would redeem her. He also acknowledges that he knows that she is a noble woman and that her reputation proves that. He tells Ruth that there is another closer redeemer and that if he won't or can't redeem Ruth, then Boaz will. We get the sense that it would be Boaz's pleasure to redeem Ruth as he speaks a blessing over her in verse 10 of chapter 3. Ruth then leaves in the morning at Boaz's direction before anyone can recognize her. She returns to Naomi's home with six measures of barley and recounts the story for her. Naomi encourages Ruth and tells her to wait for surely Boaz will settle the matter that day. That's the last we hear from Ruth and Naomi in this book. We hear of them, but not from them in chapter four. So Boaz is about to get down to business. So let's get down to the business of chapter four. Let's look at verse one of Ruth four. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. As you studied in your homework this week, the city gate, according to Alistair Begg, was the main central place where commerce was conducted and where the law was administered. Boaz chose to resolve this issue in a public forum that would lead to a legally binding agreement. Last week, Carol reminded us that when we see the word behold, it means that God is up to something. And here we see, right out of the gate, pun intended, that God is up to something. This is the sovereignty of God. Ephesians 2.11 tells us this about the sovereignty of God. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What happens in the next few verses will reveal to us God's purposes for all that has gone on in this book. The Redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken just happens to come by that morning while Boaz is at the gate. We don't know if he normally showed up by the gate or not, but he definitely showed up when Boaz needed him to. It is interesting that Boaz calls him friend rather than naming him. As I've studied Ruth, and particularly Ruth 4, I've read several different commentators' views and listened to several sermons. There's not much that they agree on in this text, but they do all agree that this man's name was not mentioned because he was not necessarily a man of high character. Let's look at verses 2 through 5. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. I hope you took the opportunity to study witnesses this week as you work through your cross-references. As we study Joshua, you may remember that the stones were used as witnesses to remind the people of Israel of their safe passage across the Jordan on dry ground and of their commitment to serve the Lord. Here, Boaz has assured that the conversation is above board by being held in the presence of witnesses. 
Nothing can be questioned because of Boaz's forethought in conducting this business with Mr. He Who Shall Not Be Named at the gate in front of witnesses. I can imagine that Boaz took a deep breath after this Redeemer answered and tried to not express his deep feelings here. Boaz had strong feelings for Ruth, and the redemption of the land by the other fellow was an obstacle to his hopes to marry Ruth. As we've seen in Boaz throughout this book, he is a man of high character. Many believe him to be a picture of the Christ to come. We certainly see an example of the steadfast love of God, or has said the Hebrew word, in, um, in Boaz. We see who Boaz is in Proverbs 3, 3 through 5. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Boaz loves the Lord, and he knows his law. He is committed to obeying the Lord. He wants to do the right thing. While he is motivated to redeem this land out of his love for Ruth, his love for God is greater than that love, and he knows he must obey the law first. Remember in Deuteronomy that God's people were instructed to keep his commandments in chapter 6, verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Boaz is diligently keeping the commandments of the Lord concerning the kinsman redeemer. He trusts the Lord for his perfect plan and submits himself to that plan regardless of his personal feelings or desires. Boaz continues to give the man the fine print of this transaction, and the man has a different thought about his role in redeeming. Verses 5 and 6. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz has already established for us this man's right to be the Redeemer. It seems clear, since he immediately says he will redeem the land, that he has the resources to redeem it. But once he hears about Ruth, he no longer has the resolve to redeem it. He clearly feels like his best interests are not being met. While the land might be a good investment, taking Ruth as his wife is too great a risk for him to take. This story reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler who we learn about in Matthew 19, 16 through 30, Mark 10, 17 through 31, and Luke 18, 18 through 30. To summarize it, this man approaches Jesus and asks how he can have eternal life. Jesus tells him to keep his commandments. The ruler tells him he has done that, and Jesus tells him to sell his possessions and follow him. The young ruler could not do that because he had many possessions. The cost was clearly too high for the rich young ruler, and the cost was clearly too high for this rightful kinsman redeemer. Boaz was driven by love, so the cost was not an issue. He was driven by love of God and love of Ruth.
Let's read verses 7 and 8. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting it in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. At this point, God's laws regarding the redemption of land and the role of the kinsman's redeemer have been perfectly, studiously, and impeccably upheld. The nearest redeemer has renounced his claim, and we never see him again. Ruth 4, 9 through 10. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. Proverbs 3, the Proverbs passage that we read earlier, continues in verse 6 to say, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In God's sovereign plan, and because of his steadfast love, he has made a way for Boaz to be the redeemer as his heart desires. God concludes this business in Boaz's favor. Now let's look at the blessings. Ruth 4, 11 through 14. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. In this section of the chapter, Boaz is receiving a blessing from the elders. Blessings were a highly desired part of Hebrew culture. They were longed for. This blessing is a prayer for Boaz and his future. The elders are confirming that they are witnesses and offering a blessing or prayer for fertility for Boaz and Ruth. As you remember from chapter 1, Ruth was married for 10 years in Moab to Malon. That union had produced no children, so it appeared that Ruth was barren. The elders prayed that Ruth would become like Rachel and Leah. You can read their story in Genesis chapter 29. Between them, they were the mothers of 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. As a point of information, in verse 11, Ephrath was the ancient name for Bethlehem. In verse 12, Tamar is a Canaanite woman who tricked her father-in-law and became pregnant with twins. One of those twins was Perez. In this situation, God's plan for redemption was not carried out by Judah, and this was the result of his disobedience. You can read the story of Judah, Tamar, and Perez in Genesis 38. Boaz and Ruth are married, and the Lord gave Ruth conception, and she bore a son. In the stories of Rachel and Leah and Tamar and Perez, 
we see God's faithfulness to keep his promise to Abraham in Genesis 15.5. We also see his faithfulness to Ruth in the same verse. And this verse reads, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, So shall your offspring be. God's faithfulness to his people allowed a barren Ruth to bear a son. We also see God's faithfulness to Naomi. You will remember in chapter one of Ruth, Naomi came back to Bethlehem bitter and empty. Because of God's sovereignty through the events explained throughout this book, Naomi is no longer bitter or empty. God has been faithful to fulfill his covenant promises to her in providing her a kinsman redeemer. I love that the women, probably the very women that she thought would not recognize her when she returned to Bethlehem in chapter one, are celebrating God's faithfulness to her here. This is one beauty of the family of God. We have the opportunity to walk through life with each other in our joys and our sorrows. Let's focus for a minute on this baby that was born to Boaz and Ruth. Verse, let's look at verses 15 and 17, 15 through 17. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. These verses are such a beautiful picture of God's provision. We have seen his provision so many times throughout this book. Carol shared with us some areas of famine in the first week of this study. And we see those, throughout this book, we see those areas of famine turn into areas of plenty. We see a physical famine as we start out the book. Elimelech took his family to Moab, a forbidden place for God's people because of a lack of food. Naomi suffered much pain while in Moab and returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Ruth greened lots of grain in chapter 2, and Boaz sent her home with even more in chapter 3. God's provision ended the physical famine. Ruth and Naomi were in a cultural famine, in a cultural where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God brought them Moaz. Boaz, who was a godly and trustworthy man to become their kinsman redeemer in spite of Ruth's undesirable heritage. Ruth was brought into this new culture with the respect due a noble woman. Social famine. Naomi and Ruth didn't quite fit in in Moab or in Bethlehem in their own eyes. But through events of this book, they found their true identity is in God. And God also blessed them with acceptance and even admiration among the women of Bethlehem. They were in a family famine. Naomi's family didn't quite look like she expected it to at the beginning of this book. It was just her and the barren Ruth. But God provided family for Naomi through his redemption laws that had been laid down years before, through a kinsman redeemer, and through the birth of a son. They were in a spiritual famine. Naomi's perception of her circumstances skewed her view of God, but God brought her home. Through all of her fears, doubts, and difficult circumstances, God was plotting for her good. This baby 
because he was the fulfillment of so many of God's promises, would be a restorer of life to Naomi. He would give her a new lease on life, if you will, and he would be a blessing to her in her old age. His name, Obed, meant servant. He would serve Naomi and he would serve the Lord. Looks like we have come to the end of the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and that we have our happy ending, thanks to the goodness of God. But we really aren't at the end of the story. And while this ending is happening, is happy, it does not compare to what God has in store for his people. Let's start where we left off in verse 17. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathers Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The book of Ruth began in the day of Judges, when the judges ruled and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it ends with the introduction of David. God, in his grace, was going to bring Israel a great king. But God's grace for his people did not stop there. As you saw in your homework this week, the story continues in Matthew 1 as we see that Boaz and Ruth were ancestors to the greatest king, our Lord and Savior, whom we celebrated yesterday. Jesus Christ, through his grace, God has been faithful to fulfill all of his promises to his people. In his sovereignty, he has provided a savior for his people so we can enjoy his steadfast love for all of eternity. The story of Ruth is not only a picture of God's lawful plan of redemption, it is an integral instrument used for God's ultimate plan of redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this story that points us to Jesus. We look at it and at first glance we see Boaz as the hero, but you, you are the hero of every Bible story. And we praise you today for your words. We praise you for the lessons that you have given us. We praise you for your sovereignty, your faithfulness, your provision, your grace, and your steadfast love. May we love you, Lord, the way you want us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.